It is a beautiful day to serve the Lord. And, and I wanted to start things off today uh, by talking about the author of uh, the book that we are studying. Talking about the author of the book. And now, uh, as you can see on the screen, uh, we're, we're in the book of Hebrews. We have been, uh, for the last uh, six, seven weeks, uh, talking about... Um, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, really digging in. But I want to talk about the author uh, of, uh, of the book that we study every single day. We study each week. We study each month, uh, hopefully, of our lives. Uh, and that's uh, the book called the Bible. The Bible is an absolute uh, crucial book in our lives. But I want to talk about the author of the Bible. The author of the Bible. You see, the book of Hebrews is only one of, uh, of 66 books uh, combined together uh, between uh, the very beginning in Genesis all the way to Revelation at the very end. In one of those books, there, there's, a, there, there's a, a, a letter written to a young missionary. His name was Timothy. And, and Timothy, uh, he, he was serving the Lord and trying his best and and Paul wrote him a couple letters. In the second letter that uh, was written to Timothy by the Apostle Paul, and, and that's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these words were penned. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So who is the author of the Scriptures? God. God is the author of the scriptures. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, man, male and female, wrote the words of their stories, wrote the words of, of the events in their lives, wrote the words of, of their uh, shortcomings. God uh, inspired these men and women to write the words uh, of the events and the miracles that they were witnessing. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, that's a capital H, referring to the Holy Spirit, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I like what it says in 2 Peter 1, 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by who? The Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. Friends, I'm sharing this with you uh, just to remind you, to remind myself, to remind all of us that we study a book that is unlike any book in the entire world. A book that, that is absolutely true. A book that is, is not done by man, but done by God. We got a, a pretty fun note sent to our campus, the Sugar Grove campus. They had their vacation Bible school this past week, and uh, they have hundreds of kids flocking to their campus uh, during the week, and I, I had a privilege of being there for a couple of the days, uh, walking in and out of the rooms uh, and, and seeing the kids, visiting with them. And, and one of the volunteers, her name's Sue, uh, she was able to bring her uh, two great nieces and her great nephew to vacation Bible school. It was the first time that these kids have ever come to church. And they came for five days, and they could not wait to get there the next day. Well, as these early elementary kids were having a conversation, uh, they were uh, uh, talking in the car with, with their aunt about the days, this was Friday after the last day, uh, on the way home, the, the conversation went major spiritual, at least for early elementary. And here's what, here is the quote from the email that Sue sent uh, to our children's ministry director over at the Sugar Grove campus. She said, quote, I'm on, on the way home, the twins asked what I loved, and I said, everything but especially this year 
I said, Mrs. Christ teaching the Bible stories. And then Grady, the nephew, here's what he said. Grady goes, wait, you mean all of those stories are really true? Sue said, yep, it's God's book called the Bible. And then one of her nieces said, Morgan is her name. She goes, he wrote that book? So Sue told him, yep, he has a lot to say in the Bible. He has a lot of great stories of great people, a lot of great things that we can learn. In the Bible, he shows us how to live for him. She thought that was pretty cool. The kids were excited to go back another time. And who knows what God does with that, but there's truth in that. It's the greatest book of all time. There is truth in this book. And we've been studying all of these uh, characters, these men and women in the Bible, and their amazing stories. Some of their amazing um, downfalls as well we've talked about. But all of it is true. All of it is factual. And it's absolutely crucial that, that we understand that so we can dig into God's word. I was reminded today uh, of Billy Graham when he had that opportunity and that decision to make. Many of you guys know that story. Billy Graham was questioning his faith. He was questioning all the things that he believed. He was uh, 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 dealing with uh, the, the kids and, and the teens all around. And him and his partner were trying to figure out, do they really believe in God's word? And you guys, some of you know the story. Billy uh, was, was struggling, and he walked out into the, into the woods, and, and he knelt down. I think he even opened a scripture, and, and he couldn't remember what scripture it was when he was recalling the story. But he said, I don't have all the answers for all those scientific questions that I keep getting asked, keep getting challenged. But what I do at this moment is I put all of my trust in every word that's in Scripture because it is true and powerful and transforming. And at that moment, Billy Graham was anointed by God to preach the gospel to millions of people through, what, 189 different countries and territories God used that in mighty ways because he put all of his trust in his word. And that is absolutely crucial for us as we study God's word every single week. We go verse by verse and try to understand what God is trying to teach us. I am a man who has no idea how to serve God. I am weak. I fail every single day. And I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek. I am weak, but God is powerful, and his word is powerful, and his word teaches me, and his word refines me. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm a failure. God's a winner. And that's the beauty is that when... God, the Father, looks down on me. He sees his Son. Well, if you haven't already, we're going to dig into Hebrews chapter 11 again. We're going to continue our sermon series, and we're going to talk about Moses, uh, uh, part two. Part two of two, uh, talking about Moses. Next week, uh, we will be blessed uh, to have our... Uh, uh, youth ministry director Joshua Nielsen uh, bringing us God's word. And uh, I'm excited uh, for that and, and for him to come up here and, and teach after a, a great week of vacation Bible school. But we're going to cover Moses uh, again today. We didn't get too far last week. Uh, I, we knew it was a two-part. We, we covered verses uh, 
uh, chapter 11, verses 23 through 28, and we got through verse 23. So today, we are going to do our utmost to get through the rest of the verses uh, for, um, so we can keep moving forward in, in our study. Hebrews uh, chapter 11, we're going to start with verse 23, we'll go through verse 28. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Let's pray. Lord, bless our time. May you be honored. May you teach us uh, through the word. Uh, may we be encouraged uh, to live a life that is transformed for you and because of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, let's try to unpack all of this information. There's a lot of information here uh, in these verses, but we're going to try to unpack it. Uh, we didn't get too far in the, in the story last week, but let's remember where we are in the narrative of Moses. Um, remember that Joseph went to Egypt many years back. Joseph uh, eventually died. He, he, had, he had gained great uh, strength and great uh, um, power there, being second in charge. And his people, his mom, uh, his dad and, and siblings, they all got a, a beautiful piece of fertile land. And, and they just kept multiplying. They were fruitful and multiplied. And they grew stronger and stronger and stronger. Eventually, Joseph died. His brothers died, and, and that whole generation died. And then the pharaoh also died, and a new pharaoh came into place, the king. And that pharaoh did not know Joseph, did not remember that responsibility. And so he was not happy that this group of people, these aliens were in his country and they were trying to take over by pure numbers. They continued to serve the almighty God, the Hebrews did, but the Pharaoh wasn't happy, so he decided, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to kill the babies. He, got, he tried to, uh, well, first he put them to slavery. They, weren't, they kept multiplying. Then he got the midwives to try to kill the baby boys, the midwives, Fearing God, they said, nope, we're not going to be part of that. Then he put a, a, an edict out and he said, you know what? We will kill every newborn boy ourselves. We'll throw that newborn boy and we'll throw him into the Nile. Feed him to the crocodiles. We showed a picture of the crocodiles last week. Very fierce. They'd drown or they'd be eaten alive. And, and, and that's when Moses' parents, already having two kids, Miriam and, and Aaron, uh, they, uh, uh, the parents, Amram and uh, Jochebed, they were pregnant with little Moses. When Moses was born, uh, Scripture says he was beautiful, lovely. They saw that, and, and they said, we must hide him. They did not fear the king's edict that they were going to be killed if they were hiding them. They did fear for the life of their youngster. And they trusted that God would, would take care of him. And they hid him for three months. And then after three months, they couldn't hide him any longer. So Jochebed made a, made a basket. Remember, it was the same word that they used for ark in Noah's uh, description. Only time that word was used was, was in the ark and in this basket. And then she sent Moses off. 
in that basket. And then he found his way somehow to the Pharaoh's daughter, who was down bathing. Let's pick that up. Exodus chapter 2. We'll be back and forth with Exodus and, and Hebrews frequently, but Exodus chapter 2, verse 5. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her serv servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Immediately, she recognizes it's one of the Hebrews' children. If anyone knew what the edict was at that time, the Pharaoh's daughter knew it. She knew what the job was. Take the baby out of the basket, tell her servant girl, take it out of the basket, throw it in the river. Just toss, toss the baby in there. But no, she took pity. God softened her heart. You know, sometimes you, you, you wonder that uh, maybe a, a dad is being really mean or, or something at the house, and, and then they come to mom, and, and mom is showing mercy on the kid and, and doesn't like the rule that dad made, but their way of dealing with it is, oh, hey, that's okay. Just, I've got you. I got your back. You know, in this case, this is a major situation, and the Pharaoh's daughter took pity on him. But, but I want to, for a second, I want to, I want to think of Jochebed here. Jochebed is the mom of Moses. Jochebed, three-month-old baby. How old is Daisy? Five months. Be like Samantha getting a basket and putting little Daisy in that little basket. And putting her out into the, into the bulrush, weeds, the Nile. Now, what, what, when I look at that, when I start thinking about that, I think that Amram and Jochebed um, planned this strategically. What day, how they were going to do it, when they were going to do it, who might be around when they did it. There was a lot of strategy this was an adoption decision. And, and so, so I'm stepping up on my soapbox here. Okay, this is a major thing. Whenever I think about my son, Reggie, I think of Jacobed. Because Reggie, and many of you guys know this, some of you might not, Reggie was, was going to die in Ethiopia. When he got to America, his, his uh, stool sample was sent to Indianapolis because of the parasites that they couldn't identify in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So they sent it to a specialist in Indianapolis. They were identified seven parasites, and there was others that they couldn't identify. Reggie was being eaten from the inside out. He would eat food but nothing would nourish his body. His young mom, don't know her age, handed Reggie over to save his life. And oftentimes, that's what it is in adoption. Oftentimes, it, it, it may be a young lady who goes and, and, and gives away her child. I, I think of David Wood, David and Emily Wood. Many of you guys have followed that story. Uh, uh, with uh, Calvin. He's over at the Aurora campus, was here uh, for some time, and, and they adopted domestically from Florida. And they went and were with the birth mom as she gave birth and, and as she handed over that child because she wasn't able to, to take care of his needs. Adoption is a beautiful thing, and there are many honoring things that are going on. There's, a, there, there's estimated 153 million kids in the adoption um, number. 
153 million. It'd be the ninth largest country in the world if they're all in one country. We, we've got a serious situation that we need to be praying about. And you need to be getting active. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to be getting active in some way in this uh, crisis, whether, whether it's adopting yourself, whether it's financially supporting someone, whether it's truly wholeheartedly committing prayer time for focused individuals on serving them and loving them in different ways, whether it's sponsoring a kid uh, somewhere in your area locally or internationally. There are dozens and dozens of ways to get involved with adoption. Obviously, you know I'm passionate about it, but Scripture's passionate about it as well. And this is a great visual of what Jochebed did for her son. When I think of Abinet Gurma, that's what Reggie's name is. His real name is Abinet right now. His name was Abinet Gurma. He'll give you like 15 different names if you ask him. Abinet Gurma Philip. Uh, Reggie Chapman, something like that, he'll say. You can ask him after the service. But when he was going to die, his mom gave him an opportunity. Uh, 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 she made a decision how he could live. And I'm sure his mom had seen many youngsters around her die, maybe even her own siblings. I'll get off the soapbox now. But Pharaoh's daughter found Moses. She, she named him Moses, but there was this young lady, another strategy that Jochebed had, this young lady named Miriam, the oldest sister, the only sister from what we know. She was to follow along the river, watch what, he, what was going on, and when Pharaoh's daughter looked at him and had pity on him, Miriam stepped up. She stepped up to the plate. We estimate her age about 12 years old at that time, Molly's age. And she stepped up to the plate and she said, hey, I know a lady that can, uh, that can feed them, that can take care of them and, and wean them off uh, of, of needing to be with a mom and then you can have them back. She goes, that is a great idea. You know what? In fact, you go get that lady, whoever you know, happened to be the real, the birth mother, and I will pay you your wages. In fact, I'll pay you to raise your own child. She didn't know that at the time. Maybe she did. She was having pity. Amazing how God works. Amazing. But Jochebed not only had faith in the process, but she took action with her faith. She took action with her faith, and, and that's what we need to be able to do. We need to put our action, uh, our faith into action. And I, I'm guessing Miriam was smiling quite, quite big at that moment, thinking, I can't believe this just happened. And when she told Mom... I'm sure mom was smiling. And then dad, Amram, I bet he was smiling. But you know, I bet God was smiling. He was smiling because his plan is perfect. His plan is absolutely perfect. That's not the plan that they would have set up. That's not how they would have wrote the script. But God is perfect. In so many ways, and, and God loves it when he gets full credit. And he should get full credit for a lot of things that we do. And, and in fact, it's interesting because Moses lived with his mom, uh, some studies will say three years with his birth mom, for three years, some will say five years, and some all the way to 12 years that he lived with his mom. Where, when it, before really digging into this and studying and, and talking with the other pastors and going over it, I always thought, oh, he was there for a couple years, and then he wasn't with mom anymore. But this process actually lasted a lot longer 
than we could even realize. And so there was a lot of teaching going on, not just uh, raising them up, but teaching uh, him all of their history and understanding of who God Almighty was and what happened with the forefathers, with Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob and Joseph and, and all of that history was, was taught to Moses as he was growing up in his birth home before he was handed off back to uh, Pharaoh's daughter. I think of Proverbs 22.6. You guys probably know that verse. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I think we're about to see that the training that Moses went under was hugely effective for when he went out and he was a man. Training your children, friends, your grandchildren, your great nieces or nephew is absolutely crucial because they will take that training and if it's done in a way that's honoring to God, it will not depart from them. They will hide it in their hearts. Absolutely crucial. We're going to find out too that I believe based on what I could deduct, that, that Moses was affected spiritually as a young man, and he never lost that. That spiritual understanding and faith that he had uh, was ingrained in who he was as a, as a person. Not saying that he didn't make mistakes, because he did. Well, then Scripture all of a sudden jumps 40 years. We, we lose a whole gap of years, it jumps to 40 years. Uh, as one author put it, uh, Moses found a second big crisis in his life. The first one that that author was referring to was when he was going to be killed, when he was going to be killed as a, as a newborn. I, I like to say this is his third big crisis because the second one was when he was handed off to Pharaoh's uh, daughter to be his new mom. That had to be a big deal in his life. And, and so now we're, we're here, and, and he comes to a crisis, a situation he has to make a decision. And it was the moment of truth, and we have those in our life. Let's pick it up in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. Referring to the Hebrews. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people, it says, his people. He was identifying himself still with the Hebrews. Verse 12, he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So we're going to cover three or four points here extremely quickly uh, as we dig into just this part. So we'll go back to Hebrews 11. Keep your finger in Exodus. We'll be back there at some point. Hebrews 11, verse 24 through 27. Hebrews 11, 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up. Moses grew up. He grew up. He was 40 years old. And we know that he was 40 because our friend Stephen told us that he was 40 in the book of Acts. Remember, we're studying the book of Acts. We've taken a hiatus for the summer to study the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and then we're going to go back to Acts uh, starting, I think, it's September 2nd. So we'll be back in the book of Acts. But Stephen was given a sermon in an Acts 7.20. Acts 7.20, here's what he said. You don't have to go there, I'll read it. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Struck him down. He, he, he took, took him down, 
because there was something going on in his heart. Big time. Back to Hebrews. Verse 24. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses, this is my own deduction based on my study. Moses in his, in his entire life had empathy toward his people. He looked upon his people that were in slavery and he felt bad for them. He may have not had sympathy where he, he cried with them or hurt with them, but he had empathy. He cared about them. And then there was this moment in time where there needed to be a decision. Enough was enough. And he, and he saw it happening. He saw mistreating happening. And he said, this is it. There, the, there's a moment in time where a decision has to be made. And in this case, he said, I am, in fact, making a decision that I am no longer the Pharaoh's daughter's son. This is our first point. Our faith in God is demonstrated when we leave the fortunes of this world in order to seek the anointed one. In order to seek the anointed one. Moses had everything at his disposal. Every possible thing you could imagine. Food, uh, entertainment, training, resources, anything that you could think of. He probably had more power than you could imagine. Some of those things, I, I just can't imagine what he was doing or able to do if he desired to do them. Moses was set for life. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're set for life. Maybe you've got a, you're coasting right now into retirement, or maybe you are retired. And you're thinking, man, I am all good. I heard someone say, retired is just when you retire your car so you can go faster. I know Grandma Pat, that's what I think of her. She's retired her car so she can go faster. That's what retirement is. So we can serve the Lord more. He could have, he could have retired. Moses was set for life. The only problem is that he... He wanted to serve God. He wanted to worry about God's people. Leaving the worldly fortunes of this world in order to seek the Messiah, the anointed one. It's all that mattered. Verse 26 says, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He was looking to the reward. That's a second point. Our faith in God is demonstrated when we long to fulfill the call given to us by the Almighty. Told you we'll cover these three really quick. He didn't need wealth. He didn't need power. He didn't need the fame. He had enough. And he was tired of sitting around and doing nothing about the harm that was coming to his own people. I wonder if if his heart was changed when he was a younger man and that on his nightly walks he just pondered what am I going to do about this I, I, I'm battling myself I keep going along like this life is meaningless like, like I'm just being pleased I get whatever I want whenever I want it but there's more to this life. There's more to, to, to what I am doing in my life. Sometimes you get involved with something and, and you think that, man, I, I'm doing a lot. You're helping different people. You're, you're affecting lives in the sense of making them happy. But then you, you, you take a step back. And you look and you're like, but am I affecting the kingdom? Am I, 
Am I being used to change people's lives? Am I allowing God to use me as a conduit to communicate the greater message, something that, that, that is not uh, going to rot out? You see, the things in this world is going to go into the garbage someday, is going to get burned. Sherry, Sherry was listening to a, to a podcast, I think it was the other day, and, and uh, the lady was saying when she's at the store and she's thinking of buying something, she's like, do I want to throw this mug out in two years or should I not buy it? Do I want to buy this so I can throw it away in a few years? And we, we, think, we, we have to start thinking that way because when you start thinking of eternity, you think of things that will last forever and ever and ever and ever. And the things that we so often focus in on have no lasting value. Some of you are, are thinking about money. Maybe even right now, you're thinking, oh my goodness, I, I don't know how I'm going to pay that electric bill. Okay? Those are real things. That's practical. There's nothing wrong with, with trying to strategize. How am I going to take care of this? What am I going to do? But we put so much emphasis on that that we lose the focus of the eternal. That we lose uh, the focus of, of trying to uh, serve God in any possible way we can. Serving the Almighty. Because we, if you're a believer in Christ, you've been called to serve him in dynamic ways. Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing it you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't let the things of this world choke you and keep you down and hold you down. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And how do you get transformed? By God's word. I go right back to the beginning of the sermon. God's word is what transforms you. When I am weakest is when I am not in God's word. It is not a genie. It's not a magic bottle. But it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it affects me. It transforms me. It changes me. When I'm hiding God's word in my heart, that is when I'm most effective. That's when I'm most dynamic. I'm not talking about for this world. I'm talking about for Christ. Because many times when I'm reading God's word, I don't say a thing. And then he uses me. Because God is powerful. I don't know where God wants you to be. He wants to use you right where you are, though. Sometimes he calls people to different geographic locations. Sometimes he says, right where you are, that's where I want you to dynamically uh, use me to help transform other people. And then sometimes he says, hey, you need to go to Zimbabwe. You need to go to Ethiopia. You need to go here or there. You need to go to Aurora. Whatever it is, listen to God. Trust that he's going to take care of it. Bottom line, are you willing to leave the fortunes of this world? Are you willing to leave all of it behind because of the strong call that the Almighty has on your life? That does not mean that you don't have lots of money. It doesn't mean that you're poor. Neither of those... God uses people in all different situations. It's where your focus is. There are many people that are absolutely poor that need to fix their thought process because they are worried about them, that they're poor. That's all they're thinking about. That's what they're fixated on. People who are filthy rich, that's all they're thinking about. God cares about your heart. He doesn't care about your checkbook in the sense of how much money you have in it or don't have in it. He wants your heart. And that's what I tell my kids. That's what I preach at my home. I don't care how good you are in sports. I don't care how bad you are. I don't care how good you are in academics or how bad you are. God wants your heart. And when he has your heart, your effort will follow. 
whether that's working hard in your craft, working hard in, in, at, at music, working hard in your academics, all those things start following because he has your heart. And you start serving him in unbelievable ways. Maybe Moses didn't mean to kill the Egyptian. He probably did. When he's looking, hey, anyone around? But what I do know is that he was at a point, an impasse, and he said, no more, no more, I'm tired of this. And maybe he, maybe in that moment he took it on his own, and, and that's where he went off the track a little bit like Abraham and Sarah did, uh, getting uh, Hagar involved. Maybe he took it off the track a little bit and said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you've called me to, to, to help the Hebrew people get out of slavery. I'm going to do it one person at a time. I'm going to use my power of, uh, of my position. No, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Maybe it is. All I know is, is that Moses identified in Hebrews as a man who had enduring faith. Enduring faith. Ha had the big call on his life. He understood a bigger picture. Didn't know what it looked like, though. I don't think he'd write the script. The way it worked out was perfect because it was God's script. God has a call on your life. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, and some of you may not be a believer, some of you may not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, well, that's, that's where you need to start. That's where your life truly is transformed. That's when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you at that instant moment that you give your life to Christ. We need to keep moving on. Verse 27 of Hebrews 11 says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Our third point, our third point, our faith in God is demonstrated when we live in obedience to Yahweh, showing great fortitude. Showing great fortitude. You know, at that moment, when, when, when Moses made the decision, I am no longer going to be the Pharaoh's daughter's son. He didn't know anything about the king, the Pharaoh, knowing that what he had done. He had made the decision, I'm going to serve God. I am no longer going to be seen as an Egyptian. I'm going to be a Hebrew. I'm going to be one of God's people, and I am going to serve with them. I'm going to do what they are doing, and I'm going to help this process out. Moses left Egypt in his heart the moment he allowed the call to be solidified. There are people I have seen that have left different sins in their life. When it was solidified in their heart that I am just going to serve the Lord, I don't care what it takes. I'm all yours, God. I'm all yours. And that's what Moses was deciding when he had that sympathy for his brother Hebrew. And we come to that crossroads at times where we've got to make a decision. You've got to make a decision. And when Moses left Egypt, he eventually had an opportunity to speak to God. You guys remember that? He left Egypt, went to Midian. He's, he's going to spend another 40 years there. And then all of a sudden, God shows up. He was in a bush, or what appeared to be a bush that was on fire. It's pretty awesome. This is a pretty awesome moment in history. We, we learn about it in Sunday school, but let's talk about it up here. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. 
And Moses said, quote, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bushes, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. I don't think we could imagine what that scene was. We, some of us have it with uh, Charleston Heston, right? I love that show. You know, we grew up in a non-Christian home, and we watched that religiously. It was a, that was a great show. Then verse 13 of chapter 3. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? This is powerful stuff, friends. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. The name of God. Our translation uh, from the Hebrew is Yahweh. Yahweh. That's why I use that word there. Do you know the name of God? Do you truly know it? That's a question. That's not rhetorical. Do you know who God is? In fact, they, they, had, they, um, they honored the name Yahweh so much that uh, they would say Adonai. And we, I think we sang that song last week. Psalm 9.10 says, And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Do you know the name of God? Truly know the name of God. You know, in America, we don't necessarily dig deep into names of people. Sometimes we just name Bill or Chris or John. And there's not, we are not putting a process behind those names. But throughout Scripture, we see great importance of names. Many times, as some, someone comes to faith in the knowledge of Yahweh, their, their name is actually changed. Remember Abraham? He was Abram. We see that over and over. So this name that God is providing for Moses is, is beyond important. Uh, so in your, in your Bibles, you'll see many times Lord in its place. And it's it's all capital letters, L-O-R-D, all capital. That is their way of, uh, of, of writing, I am who I am. Get this. Yahweh is referred to 6,828 6, times in the Old Testament. Triple of any other name of God. That is amazing to think about. The God that Moses was serving, the God that the saints of old were serving, that we've been studying, the God that we are serving, he's not a generic God. Let me say that again because I didn't get any amens. The God we are serving, the God that Moses was serving, the God that all of these Old Testament people that were studying were serving, the God of the actual author of Hebrews, which we don't know, they all were serving a God that is not a generic God. Amen. Amen. Yahweh is, is a unique being on a unique mission. He is telling us, I exist. I exist. No matter where you are, 
I exist. There is no reality without the existence of the Almighty God. There's none. God is never changing. He is constant. And he always has been and he always will be. I am who I am. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I learned to love God more every day, but he still loves me the same. Because his love is, is a never-ending love that is perfect. Moses learned that moment that God was the source of everything. Everything that he ever needed. God's the source of life, of energy. He's our everlasting. Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. God is perfect. He's always right. He's a perfect judge. He's a perfect guide. We look at how we can change to be like him, not the other way around. Not the other way around. I am who I am. And because of that, we long to fulfill the call that he has put on our lives. I am who I am. Because of who God is, we are willing to leave the fortunes of this world. It's because of our enduring faith in the unseen, in the one who is unseen, that we want to live in obedience to Yahweh. That's why we have fortitude. That's where the fortitude comes from. That's where our courage comes from, is because we know God deeply. And when you don't know God in a deep way, it is hard to have courage, true courage. John 15, 18 through 19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We know that those who love God, all things work together for the good, to those that love the, who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for the good. If you are called according to his purpose, have courage, have courage. God is with you. And that's what Moses was being told. God is with you. God's already gone before you to Egypt. Now get up and go. No matter what your situation. You guys know the story, right? You know the story. Moses was told by God to go back after 40 years of being uh, in, in the countryside. Moses is 80 years old. Bill, how old are you? There you go. So Bill and I covered that last week, I think, too, in the message. So Bill's got six, six years in preparation still to go before he's ready for his big mission. I'm challenging you, friend. That's when God really starts using you. He really starts using you when you're, you're, you, you get to that point where you start to feel that you've been maturing in your walk. Youngsters, you got a long way to go, but it's a beautiful ride to watch what God does in your life. So, so Moses had been being prepared since he was a newborn baby for this moment. All of this isn't coincidence. This is God-ordained. That whole process. Moses being adopted, going in to learn great languages and skills. Moses understanding the, the process of how to even talk to Pharaoh. You think of that. How did he even get an audience with Pharaoh? It was because of the life experiences. We saw that in Joseph's life when we studied Joseph. 
trusting in God and, and, and guiding through that, going out into to the countryside and being humbled and, and, and probably losing a lot of confidence in the meantime. He got, he got gun shy of, of his skills. So he had his brother Aaron uh, going to be supporting him. So he comes in and, and, he, and he gets to the Pharaoh. And he says, let my people go. That's what God told him to say. He said, I am who I am has sent me. And Pharaoh continued to refuse over and over and over. Scripture says that, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's scary to think about. That God hardened his heart. And yet, they kept going after it. And you guys remember the plagues. Different plagues. Water turned into blood. The fish died. Frogs came. Biting insects. Wild animals. Livestock uh, disease and boils. Fiery hail. Locusts and, and darkness were the first nine. Did you know that each one of those have major significance? I'm sure many of you know that. The first plague, for example, the turning the Nile to blood was a judgment against uh, Apis, the god of the Nile, Isis, goddess of the Nile, and Num, uh, guardian of the Nile. Th these were against the different gods that were being worshipped and against the Egyptians. Pharaoh said... Uh, Pharaoh told Moses in Exodus 7.17, or Pharaoh was told by Moses in 7.17, Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. The Lord with all capital letters. Yahweh. Pharaoh, you shall know that I am who I am. And each plague attacked all those gods from the sky to the ground to to the frogs, uh, to the imagery that they were using. Yahweh was shown that he is the only almighty. He's not a generic God. He is the almighty. Hebrews 11 points out the last plague, the one that carried the deepest spiritual meaning. Hebrews 11, verse 28, By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so the destroyer of the firstborn might not be touched, might not touch them. So before this last plague, God had spared the Hebrews, the Israelites, uh, from being part. The, the hail came down, and it missed the Israelites. The, the frogs came, but it didn't go to the Israelites. He, the, there was a, a mercy. But Exodus 12 tells us that God commanded each family, here's what it, what it says, he commanded each family to take an unblemished male lamb and kill it. The blood of the lamb was to be smeared on the top and the sides of the doorways, and the lamb was to be roasted and eaten that night. Any family that did not follow God's instructions would suffer in the last plague. And God described how he would send the death angel through the land of Egypt with orders to slay the firstborn male in every household, whether human or animal. The only protection, the only way, was the blood of the lamb on the door. And when the angel saw the blood, he would pass over the house and leave it untouched. Moses, along with millions of others, followed God that evening, which is now referred to as the Passover. So our fourth point, our fourth point, our faith in God is demonstrated in when we listen and follow the commandments of God. When we listen and follow the commandments of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So we've got to close this up. Let's land this plane. 
like Moses, we need to have enduring faith. We need enduring faith. A faith in the Almighty, knowing that He loves us more than we could imagine, more than we can fathom. We need to put our faith in the Lamb of God, in Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see, like the unblemished lamb of the, that the Hebrews were sacrificing at the time of Passover, we've been given an absolute perfect sacrifice in Jesus Christ. He was unblemished, absolutely perfect, didn't deserve to die, but was a sacrifice for us. We don't have to experience death as a way of destruction from the destroyer. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. For those who have been called to serve Christ, for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. Keep the faith. Keep serving Christ. Keep serving Christ. Keep your focus on the absolute unseen. 